Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And we think of the sacrifice that was made, uh, has been made on our behalf. Um, I think of this often and about... I don't know, 12 years ago now when we went to our last trip to Israel and we got to go to the island of Rhodes and to the synagogue where my father uh, grew up, came here as a young man. And on the plaque on the outside of the synagogue was a plaque to the martyrs uh, from uh, those who, were, uh, who, who died in Auschwitz. And all the family members, anybody I had left there, my dad, so I didn't know any of them. Um, and uh, it was just a reminder that a, a price is paid for freedom. And uh, without that, without that price, there are those who, of course, would take advantage, and we would not have that freedom. And it's a good day for us to also remember our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, the Voice of the Martyrs Ministries and ministries like that, that remind us that uh, we have brothers and sisters around the world who meet in great danger today. And we want to pray for them and pray for their courage and, and their ministry as the churches are growing in those countries and spreading. Uh, but today it is, is proper for us to be thankful and to give thanks and to remember on this Memorial Day. It's not just a three-day weekend. It is a good day for us to remember. And the word sacrifice that is so associated with Memorial Day is actually, as we go to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning and continue our, uh, our consideration from this very important epistle of Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, that uh, sacrifice is a very important word in this passage as well. So, as we begin, let's have a word of prayer together and ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time and pray that uh, your words would be heard. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of opening your word. We're reminded of uh, the memory verse that we have been uh, sharing together uh, this week as we uh, memorize from 1 Timothy, Until I come... Give yourself to the preaching of the gospel, to to, to proclaiming the gospel, and to preaching and teaching. Proclaim the word, to preach it, and to teach it. And Lord, this is a time that we continue our worship by reading your word, proclaiming it through reading, through preaching it, and through teaching it. And so open our hearts to your word. May they be heard this day in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we read uh, this passage today, I would like to do what I did last week. Just I'd like this to be a takeaway for you, to take home with you. Uh, This passage that so often we think of in terms of marriage relationships. This is the the passage we're in, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish chapter 5 today. And uh, as I mentioned last week, not everybody here is married. um, But uh, we are a a family, as a church family, and, and we encourage a strong Christian families in our in our church fellowship, and this is important to all of us. And I, but as I read this, I want to do as we did last week, and I want to remind you that this 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 passage is first of all about Christ. And if we if we keep that focus, the rest of it really finds its place in, in, in a very easy way. And so I want to read this passage again with this emphasis as we. Look at verses 25 and following. I would like to begin once again in verse 21. I'm going to overemphasize the name of Christ and anything having to do with Christ in this passage. So you take this away with you today. 
Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Christ is the model. Christ is the theme of this passage. As we come to verse 25 today, and we're going to begin there, and this section often is considered the section that is particularly uh, delegated to husbands. But you'll notice as it begins in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And the word love here, and of course this is the word, you've you probably, if you've, May have heard this before. This is that Greek word agapeo or agape love. And agape love is, is the highest, it's the supreme, it's the supreme love. Even though this was a word that was part of the Greek language, when the early Christian church uh, began, uh, this word became almost sort of uniquely part of the Christian story. The idea of this, this love that is completely self-sacrificing, this love that God has for us, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave, he sacrificed. And it has the idea that this type of love is irrespective of merit, of any type of, of, of worth or achievement. It is completely unconditional. It is completely unconditional. God loves me unconditionally. God loves me in spite of my weaknesses and my frailties and my human character. Uh, God loves me as much today as he is ever going to love me. There's nothing that I'm going to do or you are going to do to make God love you more tomorrow. Amen? God loves you. Amen? God loves you unconditionally. With a, It's the agape love. And this love, this word, is used here no less than six times in this passage. This is the theme that this type of love is the love that sacrifices. And we see here that Christ loved the church. And I also want you to take away today, I want you to think in terms of the, the collective, the group. We, we speak so often in terms of our individual relationship with Christ, which of course is, is essential to our salvation. But as we become believers in Jesus Christ, as we, as we embrace the Christian faith, if you will, we receive Christ as our Savior, we become part of a whole, the body of Christ, the church. And these prison epistles of Paul are the ones that are so filled with the truth about this 
collective, this group, the church, the body of Christ. You and I belong to a very important entity today. We belong, we, we belong to a local congregation. But we are part of a bigger congregation. We are part of a worldwide collective entity, group, the church. And we need to remind ourselves and remember, you know, we leave, we leave our, our local churches and we go into our communities and our neighborhoods. And the people you work with, the people that you're neighbors with, the people in your school, uh, the people on that you ride on the bus with, whatever it is you vacation with, oftentimes they are, they are believers. They may attend different churches. But even as you gather, you are part of that collective and you are representing Christ in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, wherever it is. You are representing Christ with your fellow believers because we are part of something so much bigger than just this is why we're sending a team to Africa this summer. This is why this church is so committed to worldwide missions. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And it says here that Christ loved the church. When Julia goes to Costa Rica this this uh, summer in about four weeks, and she'll be ministering there. There are believers there. There are Christians there that you and I will never meet, but they are our brothers and sisters. And Julia is going to work with them because they are part of our family. They are the church. And Christ loves the church. He loved the church. He loved the church. And because He loved, He gave Himself up for her. He gave Himself. And this fits with what He says in John, that no, that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself, and I have the power by God's, by God's power to, to bring it back up again. And when He said that, that I, you read it in John, he, I lay my life down no one takes it from me. They, they said he's crazy. Let's get rid of him. It just was bizarre. What's he talking about? But that's exactly it. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr who, who died because, because this didn't work out. No, he laid his life down. He gave himself for the church. But look at this. There's three things it mentions here. There's a Greek word here, uh, ina, and it means in order that, or to accomplish something. And and it's used for three things here. He did this for us, the church, the body of Christ. He did this, first of all, verse 26, to make her holy or set apart. We are sanctified. We are set apart for God's work. Just as in the Old Testament, we see this so prominently with the articles in the temple and the things that were so... In our Bible reading, you know, not too long ago we were reading uh, this. Well, this last week we read it again about the Ark of the Covenant, that story where they're, the Ark is on the donkey cart and they're carrying it, and it hits a rut in the road and it's going to fall off. And, and poor old Uzzah does what you and I might have done: puts his hand out to stop it. What happens to Uzzah? He's struck dead. And when you read that story, they'll say, "Whoa! Why, why would God? You know, well, I can't answer for God. You know, God." God, 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 this was very important because we read later on when David, and David got a little upset, so I'm not moving that cart anywhere. And it sat there for quite a while. When they did move it, we are told then they did it the proper way. They took the poles and they put it through the rings. They lifted it up. That ark was never supposed to be in a donkey cart. David was really one responsible. It was, he knew better than that. It was not supposed to be in a donkey cart or an ox cart. It was supposed to be carried, sanctified on poles. It was set apart for God's work. And the, the Bible says here that Christ gave himself to set you and me apart. But not just you and me. 
the church. Every, every Christian, true Christian believing church in all of our community, in all of our Puget Sound area, together, we have been set apart. Specially set apart. We have been sanctified for, for God's use. What an honor. What a privilege that God has given us. Look at the second thing. He set us apart and He cleansed her. He cleansed her by the washing with water through the Word. Now, a lot of people when they see this automatically will connect this with baptism, water baptism. Uh, Honer, one of the, 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 the commentary I, I refer to quite often, put out by Baker Academics, it's about this thick, it's one of the finest commentaries on Ephesians that you can get your hands on. Um, he makes this comment, unfortunately, making this refer to baptism is, is reading patristic or, or the early Christian fathers and modern liturgy into the first century. There is nothing in the present context to indicate this. Why then water? It's the most common term for cleansing. And I think in the terms of Revelation, we talk about the lamb whose garment's been washed in the blood. You know, we have, we have a song we sing, washed in the blood of the lamb. Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? And people hear that and say, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, remember, remember when Jesus told his, his, his disciples and he told the Pharisees and scribes, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And they said, you know, and you can imagine, without knowing the whole story, how complicated this was. But there are these metaphors that are used in Scripture. And this metaphor here of washing with water through His Word. It's, it's not, it's, don't limit this to water baptism. He's talking about the cleansing of the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Has a, didn't the Gospel of Jesus Christ have a cleansing effect in your life? When you received Christ as Savior, your sins were forgiven. Not because of an act you participated in, but by the grace of God, because He forgave you, because He paid the price on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 63, the suffering servant of God, that it pleased God to crush Him, to strike Him twice, it says. And, and, and God the Father poured out His anger on sin, His righteous justice. And punishment for sin on Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And we receive that payment for our sin. And it's through the gospel, the word of God, the gospel, that when you heard the gospel and you respond to it, when our children at young age, and we, and we teach our children, we don't coerce, we don't manipulate, we present the simple gospel. We do it on Wednesday nights, we do it in Sunday school, we do it at camp. And, we, you know, our, our, our desire is for our children. And if you think that if you think that children cannot cannot understand the, the simplicity of the of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then what do you do with the pastor when the Lord says, "Unless you come as a child, you will never receive it." It is that simple faith that we all must have at some point. As adults, if you come to Christ as an adult, it comes back to a very simple faith that Jesus died for my sins. I cannot pay for my sins myself. He offers it to me freely and I receive his forgiveness for sins. And our children can receive forgiveness for sins. It is the cleansing of the word of God. And it's why? It's because Jesus gave himself. He gave himself. He sacrificed himself to set us apart as a church. And I'm talking about the universal church, the body of Christ, his body. He has made us clean by the washing of of the water by the word of the gospel. We are cleansed from our sins. We are, we are spotless. You may not feel spotless today. 
You may not feel uh, like you are sinless today. And, and we do not teach sinless perfection in our church. You will not achieve a point in this life where you will never sin again. Yes, we should be growing. It is normal that we should be growing and we should be evidencing a closer walk with God and having victory over a sinful lifestyle. But we are still sinners. I am still a sinner. Nobody needs to tell me that. And I don't need to tell you that. But we are cleansed because he gave himself for us. Three things to make her holy. To cleanse her by the washing with the water through it. And look at the last one. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And this is our standing before God. You know, often, oftentimes we, we talk in terms of our hope of the resurrection, our hope of eternity, when we have a, a memorial or funeral service and we talk about our, our hope and our being in the presence of God. But I think sometimes we should look at it from God's perspective. Jesus Christ, on that, on that great day when the church is presented, on that great day, God receives what belongs to Him, what He purchased. Jesus Christ, the head, while He is currently our head and we are the body, is also, the, I think this is eschatological, I think this is looking forward to that day, that He will present the church to Himself and all of the spiritual entities in the universe We'll, we'll, we'll have to witness this. And those who have denied Christ and those who are on the satanic side, they will have to acknowledge this wonderful plan of salvation that you and I are part of. This, this, this special, unique people of God, the church, the body of Christ, where Christ is the head and we are the body. We are joined together. There is coming a, a, a time when we are going to be presented to Him for all eternity. What a wonderful, glorious day that's going to be. And he says here these three things that, that God, that Christ gave himself. This is, this is amazing to talk about sacrifice, Memorial Day. Christ gave himself on the cross of Calvary. He went to the cross of Calvary willingly. He suffered that abuse, that pain, that horrible pain of, of death by crucifixion. That slow, most horrible pain that can be, can be imagined. And he willingly did it because he loved us. He sacrificed himself. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it as Christ does the church. And I want to remind you today, friends, that Jesus Christ continues every day. Every moment, every second, he is feeding and nurturing us, the church. We have not been birthed and left on our own. He is nurturing us. He is caring for us. This past week, this past week, I wonder if, if I have been aware of how many times Christ has nurtured me. The Holy Spirit dwells within. How many times has Christ protected me? How many times, you know, when, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Peter, Satan's desire to have you to sift you is weak, but I have prayed for you. We, and, we, and we find out in Romans chapter 8, we've studied Romans 8, we're studying Romans on Sunday nights, and, and, we, and we read about there are times we don't even know how to pray as we ought. There are times in our lives, and, and you've been there, many of you, where you, you don't even, you just, you want to pray, but you don't even know how to form the words. It's so intense. And what's the Bible say? 
the Holy Spirit is, is filling in and, and translating, taking your heart and bringing it to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is nurturing, He's caring, He loves the church. If you have something you love, you take care of it. You, you nurture parents. Uh, parents, you, you know, you love your children. And, and your heart's desire is to nurture them. We are so thankful for the opportunity to minister to children in this church. I'm so thankful for an intergenerational church. And I'm so thankful for those who, who, who you know, they don't just show up here on, on Wednesdays and Sundays and throughout the week. They don't just show up and say, oh, what are we going to do to date these kids? I guess we're just babysitting. No, they put a lot of time into it. They prepare. They are here to nurture. And you nurture your children because this is important to us. And it says that Christ nurtures and feeds and cares for His church. And then we come down to verse 32. And Paul caps this off by saying, This is a profound mystery. And I'll tell you, we'll talk about what he's, in just a moment, what he's talking about. But the mystery, this is kind of a, is it the mystery, the husband and wife relationship? Or is, is the mystery, he says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We are one. We are one with Jesus Christ. He is the head, we are the body. He is not the head over there and we're the body over here. He is the head and we are the body. He loves us. And I hope this, I hope this morning, uh, one of your takeaways today is that you just are rejoicing how much God loves you. Anybody here deserve God's love? Anybody here deserve to have Jesus Christ die on the cross because you were so smart, you were so good, you were so worthy? It's because He chose to love you. Now, the application this particular part of this passage is talking to husbands. It starts out, husbands, loves your wife, love your wives. Now listen, and I'm talking to husbands today. I know not all of you here are husbands today. I understand that, okay? But some of you are. I am. Uh, some of you will be down the road. Um, some of you have children, and your children will be husbands, or they will have husbands. So when we talk about these things, this is, this is for all of us, even though you might say, well, I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife. Next week, I am not, no longer under my parents, you know, my parents are gone, whatever. Um, I'm not a slave. <laughs> We're going to get to that. I mean, I'll have Gary preach it. Are you can preach on the one of slaves. No, you're doing the music one. That's right. I keep giving you the easy ones. All right. Okay. We'll talk about that. All right. Okay, so... Husbands. Now, we've talked about how much Christ loves us and, and gave the ultimate, complete sacrifice of his life for his church that he loves, that he's made clean, that he's going to present to himself, that he nurtures. When we understand this is talking about Christ. And then it's talking, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And husbands, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. I don't need to say a whole lot. It's pretty straightforward and it's pretty simple. Not always easy to do. 
Not always easy to do. But listen, our love for our wives is agape love. It is not conditioned on our wives. He does not say, husbands, love your wives. You know, in fact, in the Roman and Greek world, after what we read in the previous part, and he concludes with wives submitting to your husbands, and we talked about that last week, one might have expected in the normal Roman Greek culture for Paul to say, therefore husbands, rule your wives. That would have been more expected in the Greek-Roman culture. And in fact, this section here of Ephesians is absolutely radical. You, you think about it. In the, in, the, in, the, in, the old, in the old world, in the ancient world, even in the, where do you read this in the Old Testament? Where do you read it's in, in the Old Testament this command to husbands to love and sacrifice your, your, for your wives as, as God sacrificed for us? This command is unique to Christianity. It is not found in the Old Testament in this verbiage or in even rabbinical literature, although there are rabbinical literature that talks about the importance of loving your wife. But this is unique to Christianity. It was unique to the household. We have what we call the household codes of the Greco-Roman world, what they culturally understand to be the accepted norm. This is unique. You will not find that in the Greek or Roman world. It is revolutionary, exhortation to love as Christ loved the church. I ask you today, what other religion, and I use that term, I think you know what I'm saying, but what other religion or culture teaches this? That husbands are to love their wives. That husbands are to, where are women and children treated better than they are, have been in Christian cultures when it's truly Christian. I understand historically there's difference, but when it's a truly Christian culture according to Christian scriptures, there is no other culture and there is no other culture historically where, where women and children have been treated the way they should be. And Paul says here, husbands, agape, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here's what you are to do. You are to give yourself. You are to fully sacrifice yourself, completely sacrifice for your wife. She comes first. You are to sacrifice. You are to give as Christ sacrificed. Christ sacrificed for the church completely irregardless of any deserving, anything else, any reciprocation. He gave himself because he loved. The church. Listen, fathers, husbands, this is a tremendous command and exhortation that God has given us and a tremendous privilege to, love, to do what I've talked about Christ did for the church, for you to do this for your wife, for the person closest to you. Because Paul says in verse 28, in this same way, Husbands, they ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his, his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it. He cares for it as Christ does the church. And I don't know that we should read modern day um, psychology and thought into this of that we need to first love ourselves and so forth. I think the understanding here is that we have a natural tendency to look out for ourselves first. 
That's my natural tendency. I'll be the first to admit it. To look out for myself. And the Bible says, no. Just as you look, it should be just as natural that I look out for Teresa, that you look out for your wives, husbands. This should be the most natural thing for you. Just as natural as you looking out for yourself, your thoughts, your actions, your heart, your love, your giving, your sacrifice. I don't know how else you put it. If, if Paul says, as Christ loved the church, husbands, that's how you love your wives, um, you apply it. What do you leave out? Where do you step back and say, yeah, but, 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 but Pastor Jim, you don't know. No, that doesn't matter. My, my mother used to say, no buts, ifs, or ands about it. <laughs> what it says. Love your wives. And he closes, and I'll close with this, this amazing illustration he takes from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis. And I always thought this was kind of interesting. I, I, verse 31. You notice that, you know, in our culture, we often think of the wife leaving her home and coming to the husband. You know, the husband proposes, she accepts it. But it's interesting, from the very beginning in Genesis, it says, for this reason, a man... A man will leave his father and mother. Your your loyalty, your first place in your family, it's now to your wife. You have a new family. You've created a new family. And he will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become not just you know one flesh, not just one spirit, one one entity. The two shall become one. This is a profound mystery. And he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. But I want you to think about that. Just as Christ, the head, and the church, the body is one, my wife and I are one. You know, this, this weight up here, that so Kevin can't take the pulpit next week, this weight here is welded together. It's heavy. And it's, it's united. It's welded together. And, Cliff, can you put that one picture up for me? I, you know, this, you think of a, a welded seam, and uh, um, some of you have done welding and so forth. And uh, give me the other one with the, with the weld. There you go. That kind of, I don't know if you can see it now, but you look at that welded seam there and, and that metal. You put those two metals together, and that's what the word here is. The word here is, is like glued, cemented, joined together. And that welded seam is strong. It'll hold buildings up. You'll go around downtown Seattle right now, and you'll see cranes all over the place, buildings going up. This is strong. This has been here for going on 50 years, whenever Pastor Peterson knocked the pulpit over. <laughs> How long this has been here, and it's never come apart. It's strong. It's welded together. Husband and wife, you are joined together. But I wonder if the if this is really that great of an illustration, if the other picture is Cliff, the the one there of a of a of a of an alloy. I have to I always got to check my sources. I was thinking I was going to pick up the one here that's a, that's a single one and say you know this is an alloy, but but Craig checked in for them real quickly for me because he's an architect. And he knows these things. Uh, this is a element. <laughs> okay, so this is not a good example. An alloy, an alloy is one or more elements that are processed together. And, and the, two, the two or three elements, or however many you put together, they become one 
and they are stronger than the individual. And I, and I wonder, what is the best illustration for a marriage? I wonder if our marriages kind of start out like this. If they start out like this, where the, where the two are joined, but they're pretty, they're, pretty, they're pretty independent, they're pretty unique still. And I wonder as, as, as the years go by and as we mature in our walk, as we share our lives and our families and, we, and, and, and to grow in Christ, if, if, it's, if it isn't more like this where the two become a little bit indistinguishable, you know, we still have our personalities and that picture of that, of that, of that I-beam that's an, that's an alloy that, that we have our individual, but, but we become one. And, and when I think of, of so many of you here, like I pick on you, Doris, you mind Doris, you mind, she, I love Doris. And, but I, I remember uh, when I do funerals, like for Doris's husband, Ken, how many, seven years ago? How many years has it been now? Eight years ago. It's hard for me to do those services without thinking of and talking about Ken and Doris. And Doris is an individual, a wonderful individual who's a very important part of my church family and my life. But she will ever be associated with Ken, with me, and, and, and likewise for you. Why? Because there's, there's something about this relationship that, that we become one and we become so identified with one another that we are a new entity in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you today, husbands, as we, as we leave this passage, and, and Kevin will speak next week on children and parents, I want to encourage you today that, that you're doing your part to love your wife so that these, these two welded together are becoming every day more and more one. So that the entity that you represent to our world is a picture of Christ and His church. It's oneness. And if you're here today and you're contemplating marriage, if, if, this, is, if this is something you're contemplating, don't contemplate it. Don't contemplate it unless you're willing to do that. If you are not willing to fully sacrifice yourself, your wife and your family, men, boys, young guys, think about it. This is what God has called us to. But God never calls us to anything that He will not enable us to do. This is a great mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love. Love your wife. And we look forward to your being with us uh, next Sunday, first Sunday of the month, our peer group. Earlier, Kevin mentioned the uh, red poppies that... Uh, Veterans Day, and we were at the store the other day, and uh, Teresa went over and, and made a donation and, and got a couple. She wanted me to wear this today, but I didn't have any place to put it, so I put it in my pocket. But, but uh, this poppy, uh, in 1915, inspired by the poem in Flanders Fields, Moina Michael replied with her own poem, We cherish, too, the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led. It seems to signal to the skies that blood of heroes never dies. And she, she was conceived of an idea to wear red poppies on Memorial Day in honor of those who died serving the nation during the war. Uh, you know, really started after the Civil War, um, the Memorial Day celebration. She was the first to wear one, and she sold poppies to her friends and co-workers with the money going to benefit servicemen in need. 
Later, a lady from France came, visited the United States. She learned of this new custom, started by Miss Michael, and she returned to France, and she made artificial red poppies to raise money for war orphan children and widowed women. This tradition spread to other countries, uh, and the rest is history. Isn't that interesting? One woman, one woman got the idea to do something to remember and to honor uh, those who gave their lives. Another woman took it back to Europe, and it spread around the world. And uh, this weekend, people are selling these little paper uh, red poppies made by veterans. And it just reminds me, you're just one person. I'm just one person. You're just one family. We're just one family. But how much influence could you have? Husbands, how much influence in our culture, on your children, on their children, could you have? By doing the right thing. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, we love you. It's been good just to take, and Lord, I want to thank you for these dear people that they could be anywhere else today. So many things to do, but they've, they've just taken time on this day to come and set aside this time to lift their voices, to worship, to give thought to your word, to bring their families. Uh, Lord, I thank you for that. As we leave this place today, Father, I just want to ask that uh, each of us would, would take away just a reminder of how much you love us, how much you gave for us, how precious we are to you. And Lord, for those of us as husbands and those who would be husbands to be, uh, Father, that uh, we would uh, we would take serious that we would take serious this very important teaching and instruction that we are to love as you love and we are to set that standard and may we have that influence on our community and our world just one life and the difference that we could make for you what a privilege. In Christ, our Savior's name, we ask these things. We leave this place rejoicing in all God's people. We say it together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.